Wow, what a packed room. I feel like I just sprained my voice like 30 seconds ago, so if it just stops working mid-sermon, we're going to pray and then we're going to go back to worship, all right? So let's hope that doesn't happen, but thank you, Sophie, for the water. Oh, man, what a fun night. This is a, I say this every time that it gets this packed. We will fit more chairs somehow. We will eventually move to somewhere that can hold more people, so that will be great. But right now, we love the basement. It's like three people like really love the basement for some reason. You want to get out of here as soon as possible, trust me. You love the basement, really? Wow. So cute. You guys hear that? It's good for the aesthetic right there. I know that. I'm not too old. Anyways, um, quick PSA. Uh, this Saturday, Salt Company, let's go to the game. Okay, so we're going to go watch the boys play. Again, Presbyterian. Yeah, go crazy. Roll Toms, and every other campus that meets here at Salt St. Paul. Roll Toms. So, we're going to see the game. Heard Presbyterian sucks, so it's going to be an easy win for us, Roll Toms. Awesome. Wow, my voice hurts so bad. We will see if that lasts. I'll be honest, this is not looking great, but we'll make it work. All right, let's get started. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I have the opportunity to be on staff with this college ministry, and I just want to say, if you're new here to Salt Company, you're actually not alone. I know how scary it can be to step into a new space, but just know that there's a lot of other people here right now that are new with you. And if you are new, please get connected to one of our staff or leaders. We want you to be a part of the family. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd love if you would open it up. If you've got a Bible with you, if you don't have one, we can get you one, okay? So you should have one. It is the Word of God. It can absolutely change your life, and we believe that as the Word enters your soul, your life begins to change. So if you've got a Bible, take it out with you. We are going to be in Acts chapter 10 tonight, where we are going to be having a conversation about how grace alone can change you, about how grace alone can change you. Before we dive in, let me pray that the Word of God would speak to our souls tonight. Yeah, Jesus, there's a temptation to be distracted by any number of things as we walk into this room tonight. And I know for me, Lord, it's just physical tiredness. It could be a little bit of a cold. I don't know what's going on, but, but Father, would my throat not be a distraction tonight? Would you be clear, Jesus? Would every distraction that people are walking in with tonight just kind of fade out into the background as people lean in to hear the teaching from your word? Father, I just believe that there are people in this room that really need to be here tonight. That, that people being in this room is not an accident. That people being in worship is not an accident. Um, Father, I pray for the student I met upstairs about two minutes ago as something tragic has happened in her life. Father, I pray that tonight your spirit would be so deeply in her. That healing would happen, that she didn't even know could ever happen, that the great physician would enter into her soul and everything would change for her, that she would know you, Jesus, and she would know that you're not disappointed with her pain, you're not sad, or you are sad with her, but you're not disappointed at her. She doesn't have to be anything right now. All she has to be is a kid of you, and would she feel the warm embrace of the one who called us friends, not servants? Would that be true of her tonight? Father, I pray as we enter into this teaching, Lord, it wouldn't just be words on a page, but it would be the teaching from God's word. And would that actually change people? Would that change me? Would this not be any other Thursday, but would anything, would I change, Jesus, 
Lord, I grow to love you more because of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start like this. Have you guys ever wished you were a little bit different? Okay. A couple different situations in my life that I wish I was different. One, I was at a restaurant recently. I do this all the time. It is so embarrassing. Like, I don't know why I do this. But I got my food and I was really excited. You know when you're like so hungry that you're kind of like not thinking about anything else except just devouring that food? And I get the food and then the waiter's like, have a great dinner. And I was like, you too. <laughs> Sucks so bad. Immediate regret. Or like when you enter into a plane and the person who like checks your boarding pass is like, you have a good flight. And I'm like, you too. Classic. Second situation in which I was different. I used to be a swimmer back in high school, which swimming is a sport for people who don't do sports, okay? I know, that sounds harsh, but I'm saying from my experience, like it's just transportation, like that's all you're doing. It's like when you run, it's like you're not doing a sport, you're just moving in one direction. Just call it what it is. Don't be mad about it, I'm sorry. Some swimmers here, I don't, I'm not mad about it, I'm just saying, that's what I did. <sighs> Anyways, getting off track already, but when I was a swimmer, I really loved nacho cheese Doritos, okay? Now, if you've ever had a nacho cheese Dorito, you'll know that it is a delicacy that you cannot just have a couple of. That's the rule. You have the entire bag, right? Well, one day, a faithful Tuesday evening, I had an entire bag of family-sized nacho cheese Doritos, and then I went to practice, and I threw up orange everywhere. Yeah, I didn't have many friends in high school, that's why. That orange throw up right there, bummer. Lastly, I wish my spending habits were a little bit different, I'll be honest. I don't know if you guys have heard of preachers and sneakers. My life is like preachers and Starbucks, I'll be honest. And here's how they got me, is I'm consistently dehydrated like my good friend Parker. He has a gallon, I have a small little thing right here. What is this, you gotta fill me up mid-sermon. Here's the thing. Every time I get dehydrated, all I can think about is a venti strawberry acai refresher. $4.81 after tax. I see it all over my bank statement. Tragic. Way too much of my net worth goes into venti strawberry acai refreshers with a large water on the side. And sometimes I say large and they look at me like, you already said venti. Like, I know, I've been here. We're close, we're close. So those are things I wish I was different in my life. Uh, on a more serious note, on a more serious note, there are a lot of things about my life that I wish were different. And the first one I can think about is I wish my time with God was different. And actually this week, I'm just like tired. And I woke up like two out of the seven mornings, because that's how many days are in a week, and I just like didn't read my Bible. I was like, Jesus, it's right there. I could read it, but I'm going to snooze you, and I'm going to keep on sleeping. And even the other days when I was in God's Word, it was kind of like a really quick reading where I'm like, oh, I'm just really trying to squeeze the spirituality into like 15 minutes. I'm going to try to get as much reading as I can done in 15 minutes. And so honestly, I've walked in tonight like just pretty tired, and not just like physically tired, but like spiritually tired. And so if you're here tonight and you wanted to like get on a Bible reading plan and you're like, man, I want to crush it like seven days a week, easy. If you're here and you're spiritually exhausted, th that's okay. 
And Jesus is like not frustrated with you, but he's like inviting you back into spiritual vitality tonight. And you don't have to be afraid of that. The second thing I wish was different was I wish my relationships were different. And I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, but do you notice that the people you love most are actually the hardest for you to love? Make sense? The people that you love the most, whether it be your parents, your roommates, your significant other, for me, my wife, I notice that my sinful tendency comes out and the people that I love the most are the hardest for me to love and the people that are closest to me, I hurt the most with my sin. And so I just walked in like shameful, frustrated by my own sin. And so this is weird for some of you guys who like, you think Christianity is kind of about having your stuff together. I'm just like exposing myself. This is just what's true. And maybe you're here and you're tired too because you've experienced some relational tension and, and Jesus has something to say about that tonight. Or I think this is really, really prevalent, not just in the college age group, but just in everybody, specifically right now in Minnesota where it like got cold a week ago and it will be cold for like six more months of our lives. You guys thought about that recently? That sucks. Are you kidding me? Why do we live here? That's why I think all the time. I'm like, six months, that's half of the year. That's mental math for some of you guys. Half of the year, it's cold. That sucks. And here's what's true, is when the winter gets colder, when the weather gets colder, a lot of us experience some seasonal depression. I think there's a lot of us in this room, including me, where the last couple weeks, I've just felt a little down. Like, I don't know about you guys. I miss the sun. Vitamin D's real. I haven't been taking my tablets, but I should. Vitamin D's real. And honestly, mental health can be one of the hardest things because although almost everyone in this room is struggling with it, you can feel really, really alone. And so my hope for you tonight is that the great physician has something to say about your health. And that although I cannot see the condition of your mind, that Jesus' warm embrace would usher you in tonight. So I think in, all, in essence, all of us are here tonight and wishing things were different, primarily because we want to change. We want to live different lives. I want to live a different life. I want to wake up every morning and just be so excited to be with Jesus. I want to love my wife as Christ has loved the church, and I want to be healthier than I am. So the question is, how do we change? How do we become more like Christ? And the answer is by grace and grace alone. So turn with me to Acts chapter 10 as we look at a chapter where we learn about a grace that changes you, a grace that changes you. We got two episodes tonight. Episode one is the change of Cornelius. Episode two is the change of Peter. So look with me to verses one and two. Grab some water. Oh, this made it sound like my back hurts. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's just like hard to reach. Have you guys heard about that? Wow. I'm like aging myself. I'm not even that old. Anyways, <clears throat> verse 1, God's word. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Okay, so this is who Cornelius is. I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson. I loved history when I was in high school. Who took A-push? Wow. Sorry. <laughs> that sucked. Just kidding. I loved it. I'll be honest. I really, really liked it. I watched a lot of YouTube videos, and it helped me a lot. Never read the textbook, though. Anyways, <laughs> Rachel's tired. I'm tired. We're all tired. We had overseas interviews. Whatever. So who's Centurion? Centurion. Okay, so Cornelius is a Centurion. 
And practically what that means is that his job title was as a commander of about 100 soldiers. They're called legionnaires of that time. And the reason why I want you guys to know the person of Cornelius is primarily because at that time in Israel, the Romans had oppression over the Jews. Okay, so a, a centurion of that time, like let's say you were a Jew, right? You're kind of walking down the street. You meet a centurion. The centurion didn't have laws that prohibited them from hurting you. So here's what they could do. They could come up to you and say, hey, first I want you to carry the bags of my horse on your back for a mile. And then if you don't do what I tell you, I can enslave you and all of your family. So actually most centurions of that time were really abusive of power and they're incredibly brutal towards the Jewish people. But what I love about Cornelius is he actually wasn't like that. In fact, he defied every stereotype that people had for him. So he actually wasn't abusive of power. He wasn't angry. He was actually really kind. And he gave of his life and he gave of his money to the people of the city. So Cornelius was an incredibly kind man. And not only was he kind, but he worshiped the Jewish God, which was really weird. There's a lot of theology behind that. If you want to know more, we can talk after Salt Company. But basically, he wasn't even really allowed to worship the Jewish God, but still like, loved the idea of the Jewish God. Because the Jewish God, unlike Caesar, had things to say about loving people. And Caesar of that time, the temple of that time of Caesarea, named after Caesar, was that of abuse and power. But the Jewish God, there, had, there were promises of love. And he loved that. But I want us to actually think a little bit of, okay, why did Luke put this in the book of Acts? What do we need to learn from Cornelius's life? And here's what we need to learn. That although Cornelius was a stand-up guy, he was a good husband, a good father, he gave to the homeless shelters of that time, he was faithful in all that he did, his good works could not save him. Now, I know some of you here and you're like, okay, I've heard that before. Good works can't save me, Right? Good works cannot save me, and you're right. That's absolutely the case with Cornelius, but some of you are here, and although your theology is correct, your orthopraxy is wrong. And here's what that means, is that you live still like your good works define your relationship with God. And here's how you know that. It's because how guilty were you the, like two days after you didn't read your Bible? How guilty are you when you know you should be doing something right and you don't. Some of that is conviction. Some of that is feeling like you're on this weird, like teeter-totter with God. And if you do enough good stuff, then God's like, I love you. And if you don't do enough good stuff in a day, he's like, maybe tomorrow. And so your theology is correct, but your orthopraxy is wrong. But here's what I love about the Bible. is actually the Bible is full of really good people like Cornelius. But over and over and over again, people mistake religion and good works for true salvation and grace in Christ. And it is the biggest mistake you could ever make. Because here's what was wrong with Cornelius. is Although he was a really good person, he did not know what he didn't have. And so he spent his whole life doing a bunch of good things, kind of thinking that he was on his way to heaven. But what God had to do was intercept his life with a vision to show him that it's not just good works that save you, it's actually the grace of Jesus alone that saves you. But I, I, I think about our culture and I'm like, part of me is like, this story doesn't really relate. You know what I'm saying? You ever read a Bible story and you're like, mm, I don't really feel that way. Like, I don't really feel like I'm Cornelius. 
I don't really feel like I want to do a bunch of good things and have a good works. Like, I don't really feel relation to Cornelius. And that's because our culture does not pride ourselves on morality. And simply put, this is kind of nerdy, but any standard of morality, our culture has just torn down. And so now it's no longer about being good in the eyes of others, but it's actually about being self-sufficient. And if I could be a little bit more real, I think most of us in this room know that you can't good your way to God, but you've been convinced that you're actually good enough apart from God, that you don't need him. And this is an even more insidious form of self-righteousness. Because the old Bible, the old teaching used to be, hey, you can never be good enough to earn God's grace. And some of you here and you're like, yeah, I get that. I don't even think I'm that good of a person. But the new gospel, the new cultural gospel of the age is, well, you can't be good enough for God, but who needs God? Who needs grace? Just do you. Live a life that you want to live. And I guess, guys, as I think about this text, I think about my story. In fact, a lot of my life, I was always surrounded by people who would use language like, work your way up the ladder. Grind. Pull yourself up from your bootsteps because no one's coming to help you. And so I thought my whole life, it was just about me earning my way through the world, earning my way into self-sufficiency. But the truth is, neither your self-righteous legalism or your self-sufficiency can actually get you at the goal that you want. Because here's what's true, is you're not even, most moral people aren't actually just trying to be good, they're trying to find peace. Most self-sufficient people aren't trying to be really, really grindy or good, whatever, they're trying to find peace. But the simple reality is that peace cannot be bought by good works or the grind, but only by the blood of Jesus. And so most people in our culture will grind all their lives only to be anxious every single day because they know that no matter how hard they work, no matter how many good things they do, they will never, ever arrive at a place of peace. And so here's my hope for you tonight, that if you're here and you say you believe in Jesus, but, there, but you live anxiously every single day because you know that you say you believe in Jesus, but the way that you live is contingent more on your performance, that tonight Jesus would release the shackles of self-sufficiency and self-righteousness, and you would taste grace for the first time. And like Cornelius, your life would change. So God knew that where Cornelius was at, he didn't need more good works, more pedigree, more money, more things, but he needed grace. And so he sends Peter. Look with me as we encounter part two, the change of Peter. Acts 10, verses 9 through 16. <clears throat> this one's going to be a haul. I'll say it. All right. Get a big swig. One second. Man, water tastes so good when your throat hurts this bad. All right. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have already eaten, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, 
what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up once to heaven. All right, so here's the context. Also, if you're, if you're sneezing, that's okay. I just hear a couple things. That's fine. Anyways, uh, here's a context that we need to know, okay? So our man Cornelius, Corn, he's in Caesarea, which is about 30 miles away from Joppa, okay? Cities I've never been to. You probably will never be to, go to them. That's fine. 30 miles away from Joppa, Peter is kind of chilling over in Joppa, and then he gets hungry. So as the, the, the messengers are going from Caesarea to Joppa to go grab Peter, Peter gets hungry, and then he has a vision. Now, to make sense of this vision, you need to understand a couple different things. One is that Peter had a major dietary preference, okay? Um, it wasn't one of those things where, like, it's optional. Like, guys, I once tried to be vegetarian. Just didn't work. I don't know how people do it. It's, like, good for the environment. My wife's like, you need to recycle more and be vegetarian. I was like, I'll try it. And then it was like, but then I had a steak, like, sitting in front of me, like, near me. And I was like, yeah, this is over. I'll be honest, it was inconvenient. My dietary preferences didn't last, okay? Peter's not like that. Because Peter's dietary preferences didn't come from him wanting to not have a little bit of steak, but it actually came from the word of God. And so at that time, here's what Peter would have thought as he's seeing this vision, right? He's hungry. He goes up to the roof. He prays. He sees this vision. It's a big white sheet. There's a bunch of little animals on it. And initially, he'd be like, yes, God's going to feed me. But then he's like, shoot, there's a bunch of stuff on there that's like unclean, unclean by God himself. And then God in his voice is like, rise and eat. So then Pete is like naturally perplexed, right? He's like, I thought, I thought you said I shouldn't do that. Like, should I be a vegetarian? Like, he's kind of like, mm, I don't know, I don't get it. So then he's like, no, God, I'm not going to do it. He like defies the voice of God, which I think is kind of hilarious. So God says, Peter, eat it. He's like, no, I don't want to. Seems like a bad idea. But he's disturbed. He's disturbed because God is trying to get at something a little bit deeper than just food. Because here's the reality of this vision, is this vision actually marks one of the greatest moments in human history. And Peter just right over his head. But here's what God was doing. It's before this moment, Peter as a Jew would only eat certain foods so as to distinguish himself with the people of God. So it's kind of like, you eat steak if you're a Gentile, you're kosher if you're a Jew. But then what God does in this moment, he's like, actually, no more distinction. No more food here, no more food there. Your dietary preferences out the window. And here's what that symbolizes for Pete. is actually that there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile anymore. Now, that is a bunch of like biblical language that doesn't really hold much relevance for our lives until we realize that the reason why we're here in this room tonight is because of this vision from 2,000 years ago in Acts 10. That before this moment, only Jews were allowed into the kingdom of God. Only Jews were allowed to know Jesus. But in this moment, God sends Peter a dream from heaven so that he could see that every nation was welcomed. Every ethnicity was welcomed. Every socioeconomic reality was welcomed into the kingdom of God. And Salt Company, I want you guys to know that's the vision of Salt St. Paul. It is to see a multi-ethnic movement of people that have no commonality other than Christ to come together to show the city what they're desperately looking for. Isn't that what our culture wants? A home where there's no more racism and prejudice? 
a place where people can look in and have no idea why there are people from all these different types of backgrounds. The reason why we can be here together as a family is because of this vision in Acts chapter 10. And the church, the church of Christ, stands as a pillar of hope in a world that so desperately desires what we can see. And I want you guys to know something really unique about Christianity, that it is the only and singular world religion that spans seven continents and every language and ethnic barrier in the entire world. There are 2.1 billion people who call themselves Christians, Christians that are spread on seven different continents that speak different languages, that have different backgrounds, that have different cultures and different ethnicities, and yet their commonality is they believe that a carpenter from 2,000 years ago died and rose again so that they could become a family. And isn't that beautiful? That our faith isn't on socioeconomic lines. Our faith isn't on ethnic lines, but our faith is on the lines of the cross. And every other line fades away. And here's my hope for some of you in this room, is that maybe for you, you've lived on a life of lines. And in every other arena of your life, there's segregation. That if you're a minority, maybe you only grew up around minorities. And maybe for you, this can be the first time you've actually felt people in this room want to embrace you for who you are, not who you should be, so you don't have to code switch anymore, so you don't have to do a bunch of crazy things and change your story so as to make other people feel better, but actually this would be a home for you, the first home maybe you've ever felt. And it would be the most hodgepodge, weird, sometimes socially awkward family reunion every Thursday night. That's the vision for Salt St. Paul, and that's my hope for you. So this is what God did in this vision. He gave Peter the keys to the kingdom once again. In Acts chapter 2, it was unlock it for the Jews. In Acts 10, it was unlock it for the world. And you're welcome into that vision. And so if you're here and you're most, most of your experiences at church events or whatever have not been excitingly inviting, you have heard the wrong gospel. Because this gospel welcomes you in, and it's so beautiful. But here's the reality, guys, that this is really, really beautiful to us now, but it wasn't to Peter then. In verse 17, it says that while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius being made, made, having made inquiry for Simon's house stood at the gate. So what we see in this text is that Peter was perplexed. And so to understand why Peter was so confused, we need to understand his perspective. And I'm going to talk a little bit about something that's really hard to hear for a lot of us in this room. That Peter had sin, actually. And Peter had deep prejudice. And what I love about the Bible is it doesn't shy away from the things that our culture is desiring to hear an answer to, but it actually screams the answer in our face loudly and shows that God can redeem the prejudice of a man to show his purposes in our earth. And because of that, we're here right now because of God convicting Peter of his prejudice. And here's what I mean by that is that up until this point, the Jews and Gentiles had a multi-millennia rivalry where they would kill each other. And so what the Jews did is they built these pseudo laws. They call them taboo laws, where there was complete racial distinction. And if you think our culture is racially charged, I want you to think back to first century Jerusalem, where there were seven different ghettos of different ethnicities. 
that would not even touch, and in particular, the Jews and the Gentiles. And so here's what was Peter's life up until this point, is he never ate unclean foods that represented the Gentile population. He never shook a Gentile's hand. He never had a Gentile friend. He never stepped into a Gentile's home. And every time he saw someone who wasn't Jewish, who was a Gentile, he'd walk on the other side of the street. See, this wasn't a subtle prejudice. This was a massively ethnocentric worldview where he could not even imagine the Gentiles being led into the kingdom of God. So God, in reflection of Peter's prejudice, he challenged and changed them so that the purposes of his heart could be revealed. That actually God was not ethnocentric in nature, but had a vision for all of the nations to come together. And so here's my question for all of us in this room that I think we need to grapple with at this text, is what are our individual prejudices coming into the room tonight? I'm gonna get uncomfortable. But I think all of us in this room are unwilling to go to that type of person. And my guess is it's not necessarily along ethnic lines, but it might be along political lines. It might be along family lines. I don't know what it is for you. But what God did to Peter was he broke down his prejudice and commanded him to go into the house of a Gentile, the exact thing he promised what he would never do to share the good news with this man, to be saved. And so my question for you is, where's your prejudice? Who, whose house are you unwilling to go into with the gospel? And I think we need to wrestle with that. And I need to wrestle with that. Because honestly, guys, I prefer to live a pretty comfortable social life. I just do. I don't want to leave my comfort to go to a place where I don't really understand that other person's perspective. But what could motivate you? What could motivate you to cross those cultural, ethnic, political lines? The gospel. And if he would, I think the world would change. So here's what had to happen to Peter, is that his prejudice and his ethnocentrism had to be broken down so that Cornelius' life could change. And when that happened, grace poured out. Look with me to verse 34. So Peter opened up his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. That verse would ring through the ages. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. See, as Peter's prejudice was broken down, as his paradigm of who was allowed into the kingdom was broken down, he was sent as a missionary to the last person he ever thought he would go talk to. The one he thought was subhuman and yet oppressed him. That's the one that God called Peter to go and take the gospel to. And I think the question for you tonight is who is that person in your life that you're kind of like someone else needs to share the gospel with them? That's you. You are being called to share the gospel with the people who would least likely receive it from you. And what could God do in that moment? What could God do as he traverses barriers between you and them as he did between Peter and Cornelius? I think he would be honored and glorified by that. So as we close, I want to talk about there, there are two different people in this room today. There are the Corneliuses in this room 
who have done good things all of your life, maybe been around a little bit of Christianity, but have not yet accepted the grace of Jesus, here's what will happen to you. You will spend the rest of your life anxious that you're not good enough or you're not doing enough. And that's a horrible life to live. So please, please tonight, get rid of your pride and enter into the grace of God. And to the Peters in the room, the same grace that saved you in a moment will sanctify you for a lifetime. And the question that I want you to ask yourself tonight is what needs to change in my heart? What prejudice needs to be broken down so the purposes of God can move forward? And let 2 Corinthians 3.18 be your anthem. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Beg him tonight and say, here I am, Lord. Change me. Not the person next to you, not the person that you have a prejudice against, but change me and make me into a holier man, a holier person, someone who would take the gospel to people who are far from me. Change me. And let that be the anthem for the rest of your life. As I ask the worship band to come up. Guys, in Acts 10, this moment where Peter's heart changed set forth the trajectory of the greatest movement in humankind. 2,000 years later. You guys ever think about that? 2,000 years later, we're still talking about King Jesus. We're still bowing in knee to King Jesus. And in this room are people from every different type of ethnicity. That makes no sense. I don't even know why I'm here right now, except for the grace of God got me. And here's my hope for you, is that if you're like Cornelius and you're kind of thinking that I'm good enough without God, I've done a couple good things with my life. My prayer is that you would see for maybe the first time that King Jesus has an opportunity for you to actually step into his goodness. And the reality is you'll never be good enough for God because if you compare yourself with God, you're going to lose. But on the cross, this is what Jesus offers for you. is not the goodness of you to shine, but the glory of Jesus to shine. And his goodness is 100% good. So you don't have to work anymore. You can actually rest. And maybe for some of you in this room, that's what you need tonight. It's just to say, hey, man, I'm tired of trying so hard to feel good or to look good in front of other people. And I need Jesus. Jesus offers you that rest. And for the Peters in the room, here's the opportunity that we all have. is to say, here I am, Lord. Change me. Because I know there's sin in my life that doesn't honor you. I know there's stuff in my heart that doesn't honor you. I know I'm really, really broken. So here I am, Jesus. Change me. Change me. Mend me and mold me into the person you want me to be so that I can be someone that honors you with my life. Change me. That's the anthem of the Christian. It's not I'm a good person, I'm a strong person, but it's I'm weak and I'm in desperate need of God's grace. And grace is the only thing that can change you. Let me pray as we enter back into worship. Father, I was just reminded that grace is the only thing that can change us. And that was such a sweet and beautiful reminder because, Lord, I try to look in all the wrong places for change. I try to change my circumstance, my situation, what I'm, relationship, whatever, Father. But, Lord, the only way we can change is by seeing your grace 
And Jesus, my hope for us tonight is that this isn't just another worship set. This isn't just another teaching, but that you would change us, Jesus. Here I am. Change me. I want to be made more like you. I want to be sanctified like you did to Peter. And I want to see your purpose move through my life and into our campuses and onto our city. And God, I pray that this room would be that, that this room would be an Acts 10 vision, a multi-ethnic movement of God, a family of people from a hodgepodge of different places. And we would show your glory and your honor on our campuses. Father, I pray that our city of St. Paul would look in and say, we don't know what's going on there, but we do believe that something magical and miracle is happening in that place. Father, change me begins with us. In your name we pray. Amen.